This is Meatless, a podcast about eating from how we get to next. I'm Alicia Kennedy, a food and drink writer. I'll be having conversations with chefs, writers, and more about how their personal and political beliefs determine whether or not they eat meat. The show asks the question, how do identity, culture, economics, and history affect a diet? In this episode, I talked to Becca Hegarty of Pittsburgh's Bitter Ends Luncheonette and Garden. It's the night after she cooked at the James Beard House's Vegan Stars Dinner. We discuss how she ended up with a restaurant and farm, mixing bread dough in a hotel room, and why, as a vegetarian, she serves meat at Bitter Ends. much for being here, Becca. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me about where you grew up and what you ate? I was born outside of Philadelphia. I think I mostly grew up kind of in Lancaster County, though I moved there in fourth grade. And um, my grandfather always had a garden. It was mostly cucumbers, tomatoes, and green beans. And I think that for the longest time was like the only thing that grew in gardens to me. It was everything else, you know, my mom was a single mom. So I grew up eating like pre like taco box from Walmart, you know, like (laughs) meatloaf once a week. And I really still to this day, like blame meatloaf for being the reason why I don't eat meat. (laughs) Cause I just feel like we had it so many times, but, um, yeah. I didn't grow up eating well, I would say. I mean, I grew up eating well in the sense that she tried really hard and got food on the table for her kids, but it wasn't how I eat now and think people should be eating. Yeah. Right. So how did you end up working in food? I, my grandmother was always a baker. She you know, every time there was a family gathering, she would make a cake. You got to pick a cake on your birthday. Food was very important to my family. You know, Sundays, everyone got together and we would have dinner and something. You know, my mom was very big on it's dinner time. Everybody sits down. That's what we're doing. This is what a family does. But I think in high school, it's not presented to you as an option for a career. And so I got this job at this little restaurant. It was a row house turned into a breakfast spot. It was called Wish You Were Here. And the owner of that place was so inspiring to me. She was this tiny little woman who she baked, you know, all the bread there. And it was mostly vegan spot, just a lot of heart behind it. She was a badass. She would just, if something went wrong, she would stop everyone in the middle of the service and bring us on to the kitchen and yell at everyone, <laughs> which was awesome because she was a tiny woman. It's like, yeah. you got to love that. That's scary. <laughs> but she had gone to pastry school at l'Academy de Cuisine, and she kind of opened my eyes to doing that. So I went there, and then I got my externship at Woodbury Kitchen in Baltimore, which kind of just... I feel like the rest is like a very clear path. I started doing pastry there, but it was so inspiring just the way they sourced everything and really cared for every step of the process. And there was so much thought behind it. 
And I spent two years there. And I think that just kind of led the way. Like I was never, never going to be able to work in a restaurant that didn't have high standards like that. Um, so from there I moved to Pittsburgh and I worked at Dinette for a while until I was the sous chef there. And then I ended up working for Rick Easton at Bread and Salt. And I think that I'm going to say was the nail in the coffin, but it was like, I think it's more positive than that because that like after I worked for him, I was like, I will never compromise again because that is why. I mean, he's very talented, but that's why his food is so amazing because right. he will not compromise on anything. So from there, I just, sorry, <laughs> was going to do it. I tried working a corporate job after that. I opened a restaurant for the Carnegie Art Museum, but it was like not for me, a lot of rules. And so I stopped that and I was like, I'm not ever going to, I don't do restaurants anymore. We started the farm. And then we kind of accidentally opened a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> when you say high standards and like bread and salt having no, like not compromising on stuff, like how do you define that in your approach? Um, I think that for me, cooking is more about presenting beautiful products rather than, you know, being like vegan or not vegan or me. It's just like the, there are humans that are working really hard with high standards to do beautiful things. And I think Rick really never did that. Like he rather not have anything to sell than sell something that his whole heart wasn't behind. And so we just really connected immediately on that. Because no one likes to do stuff they don't want to do or right. believe in. And I think we were kind of all forced to think that we have to do that to make it. And right. I guess you kind of do sometimes, <laughs> but I don't want to. Right, right, right. <laughs> and how does that translate, like, business-wise? Um, bad. <laughs> not great. But, I mean, I think that if you have that point of view, you're not doing it for money. It's right. not about money. Obviously, like I have to pay my bills, but I don't do this to be like, I'm someday I'm gonna like have a boat and, right. <laughs> you know, be very wealthy because I think it's more important to like showcase all these other things that people are doing and share them with people and all enjoy it. Right. And so what is the, you sort of gave the background to how Bitter Ends began, but what what made you start a farm? I was tired of compromising, I think. And at the time, uh, Jason Odo and I, he had been working for another farm. And I would, you know, any day off I could, I would go up there and even just, like, look at stuff and walk around. Any farmer that Rick was using, I... I was like, I'm going to go investigate like what they're doing. And, you know, you would see all these people who are so connected to their food. And then in, in a lot of restaurants, you would have to come back and be like, but this is like not translating at all. It just gets lost or like sometimes it is and it's not explained like when it is or when it isn't. You just get like if you if you 
buy from, you know, who cooks for you farm like sometimes and you all, you get to say that you always do. And it just felt wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't like, I like, don't like lying. And mm-hmm. I think I think a lot of things are lying and maybe the lines are blurred, but to me it's always lying. So I was like, I don't believe in restaurants. Like I just, we're going to farm, like let's get more connected to it. And we were going to cook at, you know, a farmer's market a week just with our produce. And we started doing that and it was fun. It was, I mean, we were like doing it out of our apartment and that was insane. The fire department came like every Saturday morning and we'd just be, we're like, every, this is totally normal. We're just running out. Like you just shut the alarms off. We got to go. But, um, a space opened up that is this just this tiny single building that we had all separately been in love with, but, We heard it was for rent, and um, honestly, we didn't really think a lot about it. We just, like, next thing we knew, we were signing these papers, and we were like, okay, I guess we better find some money to to do this. (laughs) So it really was an accident, I think. My mom was also very sick at the time, and I wanted her to – she didn't really approve of me leaving this, like, job – at the museum that paid me well and like made my life make sense. So I, I think I really wanted her to see the passion and heart behind it was, was going to make something more important. So we just dove right in. Um, and we, we didn't have any money. I think we did, we opened the restaurant for just right under $20,000 and like the floors are plywood, ceiling leaks, (laughs) but you know, it's our little, our little shithole, if I can say that. <laughs> yes, it's you just... can say that. <laughs> um, so it's both like a bake shop and a luncheonette and you're at the farm? Like... So it's, we have an oven. I have this stacked oven. It's, I can bake nine loaves of bread at a time and we m- make the bread, we make some pastries and then we do salads and sandwiches and kind of whatever we want. Specials, you know, if we want to make a Yule log, like we we do whatever we want. And then we do also have a farm. I, Jason Odo runs the farm. He's mm-hmm. our farmer. It's his farm. It's a half acre of plants. And um, he now, I don't get there a lot anymore. Mm-hmm. We got a lot busier than I anticipated. <laughs> which is great, but I don't get to the farm a lot. So he harvests every day and brings it into the city. And then are you selling produce as well, or is it all kind of going back into the... Currently we, well, this past season, we did not sell any produce. Everything we grew, we used for the restaurant. And in the peak of the season was was 100% of what we, you know, were using there. In the winter, mostly now, we just finished up salad mix and radicchio. So everything else is from our friends at Who Cooks For You or a couple of farms out east. And so I, I read in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, I think it was right when you opened, they were they were talking about esoteric varietals of things. I don't know yeah. if, if that was a correct characterization. I mean, we definitely... I, I think... I could say that we maybe just 
think too hard about everything, but it's, I think it's good. Um, because you know, like cucumbers are great. They're so amazing. No matter what I'll eat any of them, but if you can sort through different varieties and like find, find one with like a story and like, a you know, kind of like an ancestry behind it. Like that's so beautiful. And I think that a big part of bitter ends is like every single ingredient we use, like has something that we fell in love with it, whether it's like, no, we just, we just love Jimmy's. Like we just love sprinkles. And so we're going to do that because it's from our childhood that Mm -hmm. we remember that. Or it's like, no, Jimmy Nardello peppers are awesome because Jimmy Nardello (laughs) (laughs) carried them over to the United States. And like everything has a story that of someone, whether that's us or someone else that they were very passionate about. Right, right, right. And so this is like a very kind of intense rendition of like farm to table, which a lot of people would call maybe bullshit a lot of the time now. Um, but what do you, what do you think of that, that phrase? Um, I don't want to like talk shit on this, but (laughs) I think that's like, like anything else, it's a trend Mm -hmm. and like anyone can say it like kind of like I touched on earlier, like what isn't farm to table now? Like technically everything is farm to table, but like I said, I just am one of those people where I'm like, if I'm going to say that we're doing that, like we're going to do it. And Mm -hmm. I don't want, if we're going to get labeled as that, like, I don't want to not know the farm coming to the table. And like, that's, that's part of the deal for us. Like I want you know, it tastes better when the carrot tastes better when you know, like, okay, Chris and Arrow screw that. And like cedar like fell in the mud when they were harvesting <laughs> and they had to like dig them out and wash them off and then bring them all down here. And then they like knock over all the mugs when they come. And it's awesome. Like that's important. That makes carrots taste better to me. Right, 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 <laughs> right, right. And I feel like there should be more of like a natural alliance to this this ethos around food like with vegans and and you know chefs and farmers and that sort of thing but I don't think it exists do you think that there is like a a real relationship or dialogue with vegans and and this kind of farm to actual table connection I mean I certainly think in some aspects there is you know sometimes like now you know no matter how much of a lie. I think most of farm to table restaurants are like, it is opening up a dialogue. We get to sit here and talk about this. I don't, you know, could we have done this 15 years ago? Probably not. But I do think it's hard because you can't like, we can't expand. Like this concept does not work on a large scale. It's like, this is, this is an age old concept of having, you know, like a neighborhood support itself with like all of the farmers around it. It's coming in, but it doesn't make a hundred sandwiches a day. Right. It's never going to do that. Well, at least not in Pittsburgh. (laughs) (laughs) So what is, why is, was Pittsburgh the right place for this project? Uh, I don't know that it was the right place for the project. It's just kind of where we were. And 
I guess it was the right place because it's so it's so much cheaper. Right. Like we, if our rent wasn't as cheap as it w- it is, we wouldn't be able to do this project at all. You know, if we couldn't find cheap land to like farm on, we wouldn't be able to to do this. It's and also you know. There are, there's nothing like this happening in Pittsburgh. So it's like kind of special to everyone there or weird. I don't know. (laughs) It's one or both. The same thing, I think. Do you feel kind of embraced by the community there? Um, Yeah, mostly I do feel embraced. It's hard because the neighborhood is very old school neighborhood, you know, like our prices are too high. Like we're just this bougie hipster restaurant, you know, all the classic things, which I think come along with like being a a young woman owning a restaurant and like, you know, my aesthetics are just like too cute (laughs) and like that kind of stuff. But also Pittsburgh is like a middle-class meat eating town And so when you're like a veggie hoagie, it's made of radishes and pumpkins. And they're like, what? But when you feed people food that like is good and you 100% stand behind like with your heart, it's hard for people to just hate that. Right, right, right. So it's mostly okay. Yeah. (laughs) What do you, what is your response to that kind of, um, reaction to like local sustainable food like when people are like that's bougie that's that's not for everyone you know I get it because the infrastructure for farming is not there yet like there are places where you can get an egg and cheese sandwich in Pittsburgh and it'll cost you four dollars but it costs a lot of money to get all of these ingredients into our restaurant. Like we can't charge $4 for that. And so it is kind of a battle because I food affordability is very important, but you know, you have to face the facts that like a, f- a $4 egg and cheese isn't actually feeding you. Like that's right. not, that isn't good for you. That's not food and fuel for your body. Like it costs more money now right. to fuel your body. So It's hard. I mean, people are always going to be mean to you. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. (laughs) So last night you were part of the launch of this vegan dinner series at the James Beard House. Um, And at the end of the night, everyone was going around and kind of like saying their inspiration. And you you said, I just really love vegetables, which I loved a lot. But um, what what was how did you end up there? Like, what were your thoughts on doing that? Oh, man. Um, I ended up there because I love vegetables. <laughs> I, I, I like fell in love superiority burger. Right. As soon as I found out about superiority burger, I was like, this rules. Brooks is awesome. And I'm kind of a freak. Like when I get inspired by someone or a food person or like a bread baker, I will just like... I will write them. I will show up and be like, hi, but then I'll just be really weird and awkward <laughs> when I get there. And so I had met Brooks a couple of times through Rick Easton. And I don't know, I posted a picture of 
some flatbread on Instagram one day and he just wrote me and he was like, do you want to do this dinner? And I was like, no, <laughs> I'm too scared. I'm not fancy. Like, do we have to buy chef coats? Do we, I don't know, but I, you have to push yourself to do things that make you uncomfortable. So we did it and it was insane. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still sort of, I'm like, did I just do that? I don't know. <laughs> uh, can, what was the inspiration behind your dishes? Because for the like order of hour, you did an everything pretzel chip with bean dip. And for the main course, you did a warm chicory toast. They came with a salad. Like, What did you bring with you and, and how did you make all that happen? So we brought everything with us. Um, I chose those two dishes because... I think that food, like while I'm like, okay, farming, I love vegetables. I I do think like the food is nostalgic mm -hmm. and like food should sometimes be fun and like not so pretentious. And I was like, had, we had been talking, we talk about dip trio a lot. We love dips and chips <laughs> and our favorite uh chip is an everything pretzel chip. <laughs> and so I had been talking forever. I'm like, someday I'm going to make this and it's going to be great. And then Brooks was like, okay, well you have to do a past hors d'oeuvre. And so I just started dehydrating onions and garlic and made these chips and then beans. Rancho Gordo is just cool. Yeah. And I was like, Brooks, that's like Superity Burger. We yeah, got to yeah, do yeah. beans. <laughs> so he just made a bean dip. And then our farmer, Jason, is like super into radicchio and radicchio is awesome. I mean, Bitter Ends is like about radicchio and also our farm is located uh, kind of within the ownership of a natural burial cemetery. So it's like kind of dark. But anyway, so he, for, he was practicing forcing all of these radicchios, which I found out is a secret. I'm not allowed to talk about the process oh, okay. of <laughs> Um but he was practicing uh, forcing these radicchios, and we had all this shervil like buried in snow. So we just dug all that up, and we like salad. I mean, we all love salad, and I love making bread. So it all just was kind of like I was like, we'll do a fun thing, and then we'll do like a farm thing. Right, right, right. And you were you were mixing the dough in your hotel room. Yeah. I mix the dough in the hotel room. Brooks is like, you can just mix it at Superiority Burger. But I was like so nervous right. that I was like, I'm just going to mix it in the hotel room and bring it over there because, you know, I did, I let it bulk for men for four hours and do this series of folds. And I was like, I'm just going to hang out there and I'm going to run out of things to chat about and then I'm going <laughs> to panic. <laughs> it's so small in there. So I just mixed it in the hotel room. Which is fun. It's like covered in flour. And I'm wondering if like we'll be charged. <laughs> <laughs> so what what was the process like for preparing everything else? Were you kind of in the kitchen at the Beard House all day or? Um, I woke up early and went to Superiority Burger where I baked off the breads. And then I walked that over to the Beard House where we picked all the herbs and cleaned the chicories. I had made the chips before we left Pittsburgh 
and craisins I had made, you know, during cranberry season. It wasn't that bad. I'm just, and it was, I don't, it was my first like no, of course, fancy yeah, event. Yeah. yeah. No, so, they, that place is, 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 yeah. It, yeah. It creates stress. <laughs> yeah. And everyone is, so, everyone's like, wow, you know, you don't have to do your dishes. And some, right. for some reason that made me like more nervous. <laughs> they were like, I'll get that for you. And yeah. I was like, this is weird. I was actually curious about the, the cranberries in the salad because I was like, this is so much like a craisin, but they can't they can't have opened an ocean spray bag downstairs. So what was what in what made you want to do that kind of element? Um, I think that I do everything I can to store stuff for the winter because in Pittsburgh, like we have nothing. I mean, there's nothing. So I was getting cranberries from the middle of the state, and I was craisining them for a lot, and I knew that this was coming. So I saved a bunch for the event. That's awesome. And what, when were you always into bread baking or how did that become kind of a focus? Um, when I was doing my externship at Woodbury, I did some bread shifts, but I think I was learning so much at that point that I wasn't, it didn't go anywhere. I knew that it was fun, but it was still just so like an extern just trying to not get fired that I couldn't really focus on it. And then I met and started working for Rick and I just kind of fell in love with it. Cause one it's, it's meditative. It's great, but also it's so hard. It's so incredibly hard. And I love to make things difficult for myself. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I think I tried baking one loaf of bread and it was horrible. And I was like, well, now I have to do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and how many, you're baking off loaves every day at the restaurant and there, how many, how many sandwiches do you serve? Um, it depends on the weekend. We can get pretty busy and I think we'll max out. I make 30 baguettes usually. And, uh, I can do around 20 loaves a day, which is, 80 sandwiches. Sometimes they'll carry over, but we're probably on a busy day doing max 120. Right, right, right. And are you sourcing your flour locally? We source our flour from Central Milling right now, which is a great organic company that's employee owned. The problem with local flour is I'm not a great bread baker <laughs> and it rains a lot, which kind of breaks down the gluten right, right, structure. Right. So I'm not at a skill set where I can do that successfully <laughs> yet. So for you, is cooking a political act? Yeah. I mean, of course, cooking is a political act. You're all, I mean... We're always facing, you know, is this affordable? Like, is this helping people one way or another? Um, you know, farming and food accessibility are always going to be problems. I think for me personally, because that is so stressful, to work through and like, will you ever be able to 100% do the right thing? Like pr probably not. Right. Um, for me, I think cooking is a little more emotional than it is political. 
just because I'm not going to be able to fix the world through a tomato sandwich, but we might be able to touch people's lives emotionally through mm-hmm. a tomato sandwich or, you know, they can just eat it right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and physically feel better. I don't know. That's tough. And where does meat come in at Bitter Ends? We do serve meat at Bitter Ends. Um, we only serve meat from two farms, primarily from Fallen Aspen par- Farm. They're a, they're a pork farm, and they're just so amazing. I mean, I personally do not eat meat, but I think that people are going to eat meat, mm-hmm. and there are, like, passionate, caring, good projects, like fallen aspen that we can, you know, if they're going to eat it, we can make sure that these animals were loved and responsibly raised. And Jake and Desiree from fallen aspen are so great. They have so many, I think they have two at least pet pigs that like sometimes they just can't even do it. They just fall in love. And I've, you know, we go to their farm as often as we can Jake's always just like laying down with the pigs. They have a hard time with it, which is important. Right. I think I think that if you're you should probably like cry or feel bad when you kill something. Sometimes I even like, you know, just like pulling a turnip out of the ground. Like it's beautiful and it's amazing, but part of that beauty is in death a little bit. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me.